Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to the Agent of Wealth. This is your host, Mark Bowdis. On today's show, we're going to talk about real estate investing and specifically investing in rental real estate properties. Rental properties can be a great addition to your portfolio. They're one of the few investments where you can build wealth and make money in multiple ways. First, you have cash flow, and that's simply when your tenants pay your rent and the net income is positive after covering all your expenses associated with the property. Then you have appreciation. So a real estate property, it's a hard asset that usually appreciates over time. Like every asset, it can sometimes be volatile, but even in today's inflationary and rising interest rate environment, as a whole, it's been holding up well so far. And this also includes forced appreciation, where you can rehab or renovate a property to increase its value. Then there's amortization. So one thing that can supercharge or negatively crumble your investment is the fact that most people are buying real estate using leverage. While you're paying back that loan, part of your repayment goes to pay the interest and part pays back the principal. So the loan repayment almost acts as a forced savings. And then finally, there's depreciation. Even though your property may generate positive cash flow each month, however, each year on paper, through depreciation, you may be able to show a loss. For the many benefits that real estate investing can bring, it can also run the spectrum on the negative side, simply being a headache, to being a downright disaster financially. I've seen and helped many people purchase uh, rental real estate properties. A lot of them, or most of them, have worked out, and that's partly because the past 10 years have been very kind to real estate investing. I've also seen investors make mistakes when purchasing properties. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about the five biggest mistakes I see investors make when purchasing rental real estate properties and how best to avoid them. Okay, so let's get into it. First, for mistake one, um, this is thinking that uh, rental real estate property investing is going to be a passive investment and you can just sit back, collect your rent, collect your cash flow, and not have to put in any time or work in. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, rental properties can be a great wealth builder, but rarely will they be truly passive. You know, when we're talking about passive income, you can think of your, your assets generating income you income for you without any active management on your side, or, you know, you hear the saying, oh, I'm generating income while I'm sleeping. Uh, however, when you start building a real estate investment portfolio, what you're really doing is you're starting a business and you're becoming, you're going to become a business owner. You know, some people will say that, okay, I'll just hire a property manager to deal with everything and everyone so I don't have to deal with that leak at 3 a.m. And true, the property manager will deal with a lot of things, but even with a great property manager, which is one of the things that is critical to your real estate investing success, you'll still have to get involved in various aspects of the property and managing it. And then also remember, no one will care about the property as much as you do. So even though the property manager may be great, you are still going to want to keep track and make sure that the, the business is running as you want it to. Um, if you really want to truly invest in real estate passively, there, there, are, there are ways that you can do it. So one way is uh, simply investing in REITs, which is an acronym R-E-I-T-S, which stands for a real estate investment trust. Um, there are some crowdfunding websites, which are ways to do it. And then there are even some private investment opportunities that are out there. 
And both of the, you know, all these strategies of passively investing, they work by you'll, uh, you know, invest some money or, or, you know, become part of this investment group. Uh, and it could be in a single named project, or it may be in a, a portfolio of projects or in a fund that goes out and invests in projects. And usually you don't have any input into, you know, what that fund or how that property is managed. Um, but some people actually like that. They don't have to, you know, spend time doing, you know, management things that you know, maybe they have other things that are, are more important to spend their time in. The whole passive versus active management also goes for purchasing a property with the intention of rehabbing it. A lot of times I see people do this and, and you know, it's great to want to start, uh, you know, that flipping business or rehabbing business. But a lot of people underestimate the amount of work that it the, that it will take to be successful at it. And, you know, they, they may have a full time job and they may want to do this on the side. And that's great. And that's fine. Um, it definitely can be done. But just make sure you have the time available um, or that you can obviously make the necessary time available to, to do it. Real estate investing can be great, but you just have to make sure that you know what you're getting into um, from, a you know, obviously from a money commitment, you'll, you should be able to understand up front, but also from a time commitment is important. OK, the second mistake I see people make is not analyzing the numbers before they purchase. So, you know, you see, you see a lot of people just wing it when purchasing a property. Um, one of my favorite books on real estate investing is by Frank Gallinale, uh, titled What Every Real Estate Investor Needs to Know About Cash Flow and 36 Other Key Financial Measures. So you don't have to run 30 plus calculations to determine if a real estate property is a good investment, but I would definitely do the, the due diligence to make sure the purchase makes sense number-wise. Um, my two favorite ratios, they're very simple. Um, one is cap rate, which you wanna be able to compare the investment that you're considering to other opportunities that are out there or other recent uh, sales. It's a way of doing, you know, the, the, you, um, when you purchase a residential property, you might have, yes, for comps or, to see what other properties are are selling for in the in the commercial or the investment world, it's a little bit different. But you still want to do the same thing. You want to make sure you're paying the right amount um, that's out there, or there may be other opportunities that are better that are out there. So cap rate, it's pretty straightforward. It's calculated as the ratio between the annual rental income produced by the property, um, and that's a ratio to its current market value. So if we look at an example, let's say someone's looking at an apartment building. It has ten units each earning $2,000 a month in rent. That means the property is grossing $20,000 a month or $240,000 in income a year. Then if you subtract the expenses, let's say they're $96,000, and then you come up with the net operating income of $144,000 a year. Um, so then if you know that you're in a seven cap market, which is a 7% capitalization rate, you can divide that $144,000 by 7%, and determine that a reasonable purchase price um, to offer is $2,057,143. And then you can also flip it around. And if the seller is trying to list the property or marketing the property as a $2,060,000 sale price, and you get all the, you know, you're able to get all the 12 months trailing profit, law statement, um, and you come up with that same calculation that it's got that $144,000 in that operating income you can determine that it's being sold as a seven cap. And then you're able to compare this to other to other properties. One thing that the cap rate doesn't take into account is the uh, loan or, or a note on the property. So it's strictly saying, just looking at the income and the price that you'd have to pay. Another ratio I like is called cash on cash return. 
This is especially valid or especially relevant if cash flow is important to you. So you can calculate your cash on cash return by taking that annual net operating income that the property generates and divide it by the amount of cash that you need to purchase the property. So this takes into account the, the leverage that we were talking about earlier. So if we look at an example here, let's say you take $100,000 and purchase a $400,000 property. If that property generates $10,000 of net income each year, the cash on cash return would be 10,000 divided by 100,000 or 10%. Um, so now this is a measure of, okay, how is my money that I have to use for the investment? How is it working for me? And then after you have your property for a while, you probably want to change up the calculation because it's no longer just the down payment, but you may have built up equity in the property. So instead of using the amount of cash you use to purchase the property, you want to use how much equity you have in the property. Um, because appreciation or amortization, the, the amount of equity should start, may probably start out close to what your, your down payment is or what your payment is into it, but that number should increase the longer you have it. And you really want an accurate account of how's the equity working for you in the property. You know, you may have options to refinance, to pull some cash out, or, you know, if it's not uh, generating as much cash on cash return as you want, it may be time to, to sell it. A lot of times I see people who buy a condo to live in, and then they either start a family or get married, or so they want to move out of their condo, yet keep it as an investment property. However, what made the condo a good place for you to live doesn't necessarily make it a good investment property. So you should still do the analysis on these properties as well. Um, you know, sometimes it's better to sell it, take the cash and use it for a better investment property or use it so for some other something else that makes more, more, more sense. Um, there are a lot of tools that out there that can help you with running these calculations. One of my favorites is um, a tool on, the, on a website called biggerpockets.com. And biggerpockets is a great resource, especially for new investors. But there's, there's tools uh, you know, and spreadsheets um, out there that you can use for it. Okay, so mistake three is uh, estimating your expenses as accurately as, as possible. I see a lot of people not do this or, get, or not take the time to, to really do this. Um, you know, and it's another mistake related to not properly doing your analysis. So, you know, I'll see a lot of people that they'll determine if a property is going to be a good investment by doing something like this. They'll say, all right, my, my mortgage is going to cost $2,500 per month and I'll bring in $2,600 a month in rent. So it's positive and it must be a good in investment. Um, they're forgetting to calculate things like maintenance, vacancy, capital expenditures. Um, you know, even with the greatest tenants in place, you'll experience vacancy time to time. And it can be really costly. If you have a tenant leave, it's unlikely that you'll be able to have the tenant move out on the 31st of the month and have the property be available the next day on the 1st for the new tenant to move in. So right there, you're you're at a month, you, you're potentially losing a month of rent. Uh, tenant turnover, it's also costly because you're gonna have to do things like paint, maybe clean or replace flooring. Capital expenditures are CapEx. These are big repair items like a new roof, a furnace, hot water heater. These expenditures don't happen every year. But when they do, they can take a big chunk out of the profit. So you have to, it, what makes sense is to account for um, a percentage of them every, uh, you know, every year, even if you're not utilizing them every year. So that way, when the time comes that you do have to replace the roof, there are funds set aside or you are counting that into the, to the calculation of whether this property makes sense or not. Um, one of the things I recommend is try and get a maintenance history log from the property manager that's currently managing the property that you're considering. Um, if you can't get a log history, you still want to factor in something for these, you know, for things like vacancy, capex, repairs, and maintenance. Um, you know, if the, typically with the property in good 
uh, condition, you want to use something like 5% across all three, 5% vacancy, 5% capex, capex, 5% repairs and maintenance. But that doesn't, um, you know, sometimes these are more, um, you may go years without having a vacancy, which is, is great, but you definitely want to err on the um, side of being conservative. And then, you know, speaking of property management, even if you plan on managing the property yourself, I would factor in the cost of property management when doing the analysis before you purchase. Um, it's usually, you know, anywhere from seven to 10% of the gross rents. And, you know, you, you may, and the reason for doing this is you may get to a point in your real estate portfolio where it doesn't scale with you managing all your properties or you don't want to manage the properties and you need to hire a property manager. It's better to know upfront if the property still makes sense with a property manager in place um, rather than uh, you know, having to go to a property manager and then finding out the numbers don't make sense and then kind of scrambling and figuring out what to, to do. Mistake number four, or where, what I see is now, again, this is on the analysis. I see people that just want to look for the highest yielding property or the highest property that has the highest return on paper. Um, so, you know, one thing you have to keep in mind, rental markets, they're really localized. They, you know, they, there's a unique supply and demand for each zip code. And sometimes even within the zip code, there's uh, there's different markets inside that, you know, whether it's a neighborhood inside that. And, you know, you, you really want to look at the tenant quality, the safety of the neighborhood, the amount of demand for properties in that area. And so it's, it's not just the numbers on the income. There's other factors that go into doing the analysis and whether it makes sense. Um, you know, it, it, the, it, the, going through these numbers can really determine if the investment is going to be profitable. Is it going to be or how passive will it be? Or is it going to be a total nightmare? You know, you, you might find a highly affluent area with expensive real estate, you know, prices that, you know, check the boxes for safety, but not demand or not return. Sometimes a lot of these, a lot of times these properties, you look on paper and they don't really work out cash flow. That's because you have to pay a really high amount relative to the rent that you'll be able to collect in it. And on the flip side, low income neighborhoods, they may, you know, you may look at paper and, you know, you may see see a cap rate of 12 or 15 and you're like, this is great. It's producing tremendous cash flow, um, but there might be higher rates of crime, higher tenant turnover rates. And, uh, you know, those things may eat into um, the net income that you you generate. So you really want to look and find a happy medium between, you know, things like affordability, safety, stable rental demand. Um, that, and that really should be your ultimate goal. So you obviously don't want to wing it, um, but you don't want to just look at income numbers. You really want to factor in some of these other things as as well. Um, you know, what you see a lot of people do is they just look at the highest cap rate or the highest cash on cash return, um, you know, this, to, to decide where to invest. Um, but, you know, like I said, it's important to take other things into consideration as well. Um, you know, the other thing that's important is you know, a property manager may do this for you, but if you're doing it yourself, it's really extremely important to understand how to vet and underwrite tenants. Uh, you want a strict a screening process. You know, it looks at the complete picture of the tenant. I know it can be a, a pain and you might just say, all right, I'm just gonna look at their credit score, their income and do this ratio and make sure that, well, you know, with the ratio they're, they're able to, to, to be able to pay the rent. Um, you obviously have to always follow federal and local laws for screening tenants. But, um, you know, just as a warning, poor tenant underwriting, it's one of the things that leads to failure or not having as much success as someone uh, would like. And that's, you know, irrespective of where the property is located, that's in those highly fluent areas or the low income areas, um, you know, having a really good tenant underwriting process is critical. All right. And then the final mistake that I see is overextending yourself. 
being overextended on a rental property, it's not a good position to be in, no matter how good the property or lucrative the property is you see projecting down the road. And you wanna go into the investment with enough, enough cash for the down payment. Uh, I see people you know, all the time scramble and take loans out here, loans out here to be able to just afford the down payment. You also wanna have a safety net um, because unexpected repairs and expenses definitely will come up. Um, and you know, sure, you, you, you may go into it saying, okay, I'll build up those capital reserves from rent and that's a, definitely a good idea. But uh, you, know, you wanna have some reserves built up um, in place for when that you know comes into it, and you obviously want to make sure that uh, you know you can maintain the debt obligations um, associated with it. And your economic circumstances can change; your income may fluctuate. Uh, you know there are times where the tenant may not be paying on the property, or it's vacant than longer, it's vacant longer than what you expected. You're obviously still responsible for it. Um, you know I've seen a lot of people got crushed in the 2008-2009 financial crisis because they were overextending themselves. Um, and you know this is one of the main problems of that of that crisis. That being said, uh, there's always a, a, some amount of risk that you have to take when embarking on a, you know a, a building a real estate portfolio. Um, so you know it's not that you know you want to have enough saved up or enough income where you know you can purchase the property in cash. You don't need to go to that level of detail, but you just want to be cognizant of having a plan for when things go wrong because they they will and just making sure you can weather it um you know like every type of investment every type of business there's always going to be highs and lows and you just want to make sure you're, you're in a good position to to succeed with it um so you know to purchasing a real estate property can be a great way to set yourself on that path for financial freedom it can also be a disaster um so just to summarize some of the things we went through just do your due diligence as much as possible put as much analysis into the property as you can up front um, you know this what they said what said is that uh, you know you make money in real estate on the purchase um, so you really want to take the time uh, take the you know go through the details um, and make sure that you are purchasing the right and that's not to say you should get paralyzed by doing the analysis and I see that happen a lot too where um, you know people will do so much analysis that uh, they never get around to pulling the trigger and buying something um, so there is a balance to it, um, you know, and sometimes it helps to talk to someone. So if you have any questions on getting started in real estate investing or investing in a specific property, or, you know, if it would make a good investment or not, I'm happy to talk. And you can go to boutusfinancial.com backslash call and schedule a free consultation. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning. 